You are listening to Forward, a podcast of island readers and writers. This is your host, Taylor Mace. Today I am here with author Padma Venkatraman. She is the author of four books, including A Time to Dance, Island's End, Climbing the Stairs, and her most recent, The Bridge Home, which is about two sisters who run away from an abusive home to survive on the streets on their own of Chennai, India. And this is a book that we used in our Mock Newberry program um, last fall in this past winter. And the kids in fifth and sixth grade who were in the club absolutely loved this title. And it was selected as the uh, Mock Newberry runner-up this year from, from those kids. So I'm fortunate to have Padma here today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. And thanks, especially to every child who voted for the Bridge Home in the Mock Newberry. That really means a lot to me. I, I want to talk about this book, which is at at once um, very stirring and emotional, but also uplifting. Padma, could you tell us where the inspiration for this beautiful and complex story came from? In part from my own life, I didn't have a very uh, easy childhood. And there are people in my family who can be violent. So the children in the book, the two girls run away from home because of that, um, because of of violence in the home. And um, then they end up on the streets of Chennai. Now, I always had a roof over my head. I always had food on the table. And that's something I think is very important for me to emphasize because I never suffered the dire poverty that you see in the book. That said, uh, when I was about eight, my parents separated, which is very unusual in India. And my mother had to struggle financially to keep house and home together. And so, um, so I think, uh, it, you know, during her struggles, I saw that. And so economic difficulty certainly is something that isn't new to me. It, it shaped my childhood and it shaped who I am today. And something else that shaped who I am today is the fact that my mother, even though she went from being, you know, a wealthy woman when uh, she was together with my father to suddenly becoming a single mother with nothing in her bank account, she still always made time to volunteer at organizations where she had uh, taught and and done other things. Um, as as a wealthy person, but she continued to do that even when she didn't have wealth to give, but then she still had her time to give and she did give that. And so I got to know some children who came from situations like the children in the book. And one of uh, the people that I met became an, a special friend of mine. And I think her struggles are probably what the book most closely parallels. That said, it is a, it's a fiction um, account. And so it takes, it draws on not just her life, but the lives of of several other kids who were my friends and who survived. And the thing that I love the most about the book is that even though there is homelessness and, you know, um, abuse and, um, and 
a lot of tragedy and very difficult things, there's also a lot of humor in the book. And that is because the kids that I knew were survivors. And they saw themselves as survivors, just as I do. I see myself as a survivor too. And I think that was really important to me to bring out. And I really love the fact that the book has joy in it, even though it deals with some really difficult, very hard, serious and sad topics. Absolutely. You know, you have all of these layers and all of these experiences that the four kids are going through, but ultimately you see it as a story of love and friendship between the four of them. That's what I came away with at least. And so, yes. you know, with, with that, those special relationships, um, you really see um, at the end, as you said, despite the tragedies, it, it becomes an uplifting tale. What made you decide to include um, Ruku as a child uh, with an intellectual disability? In a way, I don't choose my characters. I feel like my characters choose me. <laughs> and I know that seems a little sort of, um, it's certainly not scientific, but that's how I feel. I really feel as though these characters come into my head and you know I can hear their voices. And then at some point I start to see them and then they take me over completely. They become like ghosts that really you know haunt my home and haunt my mind and possess me. And I think in that way, Ruku was one of those characters and she is based on, uh, on people that I knew in my family who had disabilities. And I think, I don't, I mean, I don't think of her as a choice that I did this or that with her. I just think of Ruku as one of those amazing characters who came to me and then of course I had to write about her. So I think that's, um, yeah. That's how all of my characters happen. That's so interesting. And of course, her, her unique perspective brings another angle to the book as well as we see things through her eyes and how she sees the world. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's so important for me, I think, as a person with an invisible disability, that people speak up about disability as well and that there is inclusion in, in every way and also in the literary universe. So in books, we want to see characters with disabilities as strong characters, as complete and um, wonderful as, as Ruku is, I, I like to think. What made Viji, um, she is a, a writer at heart. How did that sort of come to you, as you mentioned? You know, that part is probably the part that is a little uh, more fiction than fact, because the friend that I had really didn't have any interest in writing herself. So she had told me her story. And then at one point she said, um, you know, Padma, will you write my story one day? Because I always used to write and used to scribble in notebooks when I was a child. And I always thought I would be a writer one day. And um, and then when I started writing this novel, I had no idea that I was in a way incorporating the story that she had told. And I assumed that that part of Viji, the part that loves writing and is a writer is probably me uh, mm. in some way. 
Now, you grew up in India, and you had a very interesting um, career background. Can you tell us your path of how you became an author? <laughs> yeah, it's quite unusual, I think, because um, I started off think in India, and I realized quite quickly that if I w were to grow up as a woman who wanted to make my own choices about my life and be independent, I would definitely need to earn enough to keep um, a roof over my head, and, you know, to be financially independent. And I think that's very important. And because of that, I ended up choosing, in, in part because of that, I should say, I ended up choosing science and mathematics as, as the subjects that I would study and I would dedicate myself to because I felt like even though, uh, you know, growing up, when I was growing up in the 70s in India, there was nothing. I didn't see people of color, women of color, you know, not even probably the, to the extent that maybe in this country, it was just so different. And I never saw them in books or in real life um, doing things. But somehow I knew, I felt like if I were a scientist, then I could have a living of my own. And so in part because I felt so worried about the planet and the oceans, I grew up next to the oceans, I decided that I would do oceanography. And within that, I would look at pollution in the world. So that's what I ended up uh, studying. And I am also unusual in that I left India when I was about 19. And, um, you know, I actually first went to England and then I came to this country. When I, when I came to this country, it was so different. I was in graduate school. I was just barely out of my teens. I didn't know a soul for like hundreds of miles around. So I didn't have any friends or relatives anywhere close to me. And that's especially interesting because I think children of today can't quite imagine a time when the phone service even wasn't the way it is now. So I would talk to my mother once a month for three minutes. Wow. That was all that I could afford as a graduate student. And, you know, it was not a whole lot of money. So that was the most I could afford. So I always say, you know, what would you do if you could only speak to your mother for three minutes once a month and she asked you if everything was okay, knowing that she was halfway across the world and if you were not okay, she couldn't do anything, what would you say? You would say, everything's fine. And that's about all I could say. And uh, when I look back on that now, it feels, I, I think I'm far enough away that I can think, you know, that that required courage, I guess. And I never really thought of it that way, but it did. And it was not easy. It certainly wasn't easy, especially because when I came, I was the only woman of color in my incoming graduate class. And looking around me, there were not a whole lot of people of color. In Initially, when I went there for my master's, you know, things changed later when I went back and I did my PhD. By then, there was a little more recognition and there was at least some effort to recruit more um, people of color and, you know, into the sciences. But at that point, there wasn't, you know, and people would talk about women in the sciences, but that usually meant white women in the mm. sciences. And so 
the experiences of people of color were not recognized really. And it was a very different time in Virginia when I was a graduate student and I experienced a lot um, of racism, you know, small and, and large. And uh, given all that we're seeing today, it was always, always clear to me that in spite of the large level of racism that I experienced, that it was nothing compared to what my black brothers and sisters were experiencing. So, so you know, there's, there was a lot um, at that time that I went through. It sounds like those experiences seem to have prepared you to share your journey through words. Except that I probably always, I mean, I always used to write. So I wrote ever since I was little. I, I used to write. I say that I used to write before I learned how to write because um, my mother says I used to dictate poems to her when I was really small and I would get tired of writing, but then I was very clear about where the line ended. And it's funny because these days I think a lot about where my line breaks are in poetry, but apparently when I was three years old, it was very clear to me. So... I, I wrote a lot, um, and I think it, writing was always something that was important to me. And one of the reasons I think I made the transition from science to writing was because at one point I was so tired, I was so tired of placing facts in front of people and people looking away. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing that I would always talk about, the fact that everything is integrated, but some people don't see it that way. And some people, unfortunately, see you know, climate change and pollution as issues that are separate from humanity, and they are not. And, you know, as the COVID epidemic or pandemic, I should say, right now is, is so clearly showing us something that many of us have always known, which is that any pandemic, any crisis, like global cli climate crisis, is already and will continue to affect those communities most at risk, those most disadvantaged communities. And uh, women of color, certainly. Right. People of color, right? Blacks are much more affected by COVID today. And that's because they have not had access to, ad you know, even adequate healthcare or any, you know, so much. and. And that's something that I think we need to remember. And I, and I keep saying people of color because I do feel very strongly that I am a person of color, but then I always have to also remember that even within that, I have privilege that is denied to some. Because of, of being an Indian woman? Yes. Right. So, right. Yeah. So when, I, you know, people sometimes... They don't really know what I am. They may um, think I'm Latina. People have thought that in the past. Um, and sometimes they think I'm Indian. Sometimes they think I'm, you know, I, I don't know. So, so it goes all over the, I have been mistaken for lots of other things, but, um, but I do think that, that in general, that they, unfortunately, there are almost like hierarchies in, and the darker your skin is, you, the worse you're treated sometimes. Um, and that's horrible. And I think, you know, indigenous communities in this country also have such a difficult time. So there's, there are so many other populations that I think suffer far more than 
South Asians do in the, in the United States today. But, and you know, even within the South Asian community, there are hierarchies and, and differences. And I mean, I, there are, there are in, there's inclusion and exclusion at so many different levels, right? And the fact that I didn't grow up here is one of the things that is a cause for exclusion sometimes in several communities. So they're, they're just, I, I don't know, I want to say there's, there are different barriers and different exclusions and different hurdles that each of us face. And they're not always visible. They're not always clear. Sometimes they intersect. Um, and there are many. But I'm hopeful that the young generation will do better and get some of those hurdles out of the way for for them. What is your sense on um, the movement in children's literature in um, diversity in books? How do you see that landscape shifting? So the first thing I want to acknowledge is that uh, We Need Diverse Books has done an amazing job and uh, in bringing diversity issues to the forefront. I also, though, want to uh, maybe correct you a little bit, if I may, and say that this movement is not new. Uh, you know, again, We Need Diverse Books has done an amazing amount and has made tremendous, wonderful str uh, strides. However, this has been coming for a long time. So the, the minute I stepped into this field, I knew it was required and I have been fighting for diversity. We used to call it multiculturalism at one point. It doesn't matter what name it went by. For me, it always included lots of different kinds of diversity. And I fought for it for a long time, over a decade now. I would even probably over 12 years when my book started to come out and before that even my first novel, uh, Climbing the Stairs, debuted, I think, 12 years ago now, and it's still in print, which is very nice. And uh, I think, and before me, there were so many other people as well. So it was not like I was the first wave at all. So before me, there were people like, um, like Linda Sue Park, and before Linda Sue Park and Jacqueline Woodson were before me, but before Linda Sue Park and Jacqueline Woodson, there was there were other people as well. There were, you know, Walter Dean Myers, after whom the Walter Dean Myers Award is named, uh, Virginia Hamilton. You know, the reason for creating the Coretta Scott King Award is also because we needed diversity. So it's it's been a long uh, process and a very long fight, and the knowledge that this was required, that this was needed, has been, has been with us for a long time, with some, with some of us very much for a long time. Because when my first novel came out, I remember people saying, oh, don't, you know, after an event at which Climbing the Stairs was sold out, um, the one of, I heard, overheard a bookstore manager ask if they should order some more. And uh, the, the owner of the bookstore said, no, don't do that. It's a, it's just a multicultural book, you know, mm. and there's so many levels, right. On which I could take that down and unpack that statement. But, but that was the way things were. Uh, even when I, when I came onto the scene and again, you know, there's Lawrence Yep, whom I did not mention as well, an Asian American who had been writing for such a long time. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, uh, you know, lots of uh, 
of people have been have been fighting for that you know the, and there was this lovely book crowboy which was one of the few books that that made it to me when i was a child that i read and it was probably the first asian american book that i actually ever read um and it, it's a beautiful book but again so there've been some of us fighting for this for ages do you have any um books from d- diverse authors that you would recommend um, kids in this age group read? Absolutely. There are so many. And uh, sometimes I hesitate to actually mention a book because I feel like I'm going to leave out so many. Uh, if you go to my website, actually, padmavekatraman.com, so it's just my name, as long as you spell my name correctly, P-A-D-M-A-V-E-N-K-A-T. R A M A N. There are lots of A's. There's only <laughs> one E. Yeah, people keep you know messing that. The only one E, and that's in the V E N. That's the only one. But if you do it padmavenkatraman.com and you go to my website, there's um there's a tab that says resources, and if you click on that tab, there's there's uh, I think teach the bridge home. If you look underneath that and scroll down, there are lists of books that I have for recommended reading, and you know. I basically recommend books that I love, which almost invariably incorporate some kind of diversity. And so there's, there's you know, a whole lot of books um, there that I would recommend. A book that just landed across uh, my desk, and so it's probably not on any of those lists, is Manana Land by Pam Munoz Ryan. And I mentioned that book because I am in the process of reading it and I just love it. Well, thank you for that. And um, please visit Padma's website um, where you can also find more about her books, um, including The Bridge Home, which you can also hear Padma read um, by downloading the book on Audible. Padma, thank you so much for sharing um, your thoughts with me today. And I really appreciate um, you taking the time to be with me today. Thank you so much. It was really my pleasure. And I'm thrilled to hear actually that um, Maine has uh, the Bridge Home now as one of its state award nominees, I guess. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, I just heard that on Twitter today. So I hope oh, it's true. great. Oh, <laughs> it must be because uh, the kids we know in Maine loved it. So <laughs> thank you for listening to Forward a podcast of island readers and writers. Like and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Tune in next week with guest John David Anderson as he discusses his recently published middle grade novel, One Last Shot.